Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Uh, Luke, we're live. Luke, we're live here. It's a live oh, show. Oh, sorry. Jesus. It's Monday, wow. Luke. Great it's first, first show. Day at CBS. <laughs> All right. Hey, here we go. Hey, sorry. I thought we were counting down to the advertisement. I didn't hear anything, and uh, that's my fault. I apologize as I sit here mouth breathing. Hi, everyone. It is August 31st. It is Monday. It is 2020, and it is time for morning combat. That's hilarious. My name is Luke Thomas. Hey there. Slap, slap. The gentleman on the other side of the screen, you know him from CBS Sports, my cohort. My friend, my amigo, the conspiracy to my theory, it's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? Uh, fired up, Luke, in a lot of ways. You know, it feels like a new dawn is upon us. Uh, the kids are back in school today, and you are a full-fledged member of the Viacom CBS Network. Uh, welcome. And for you and me, Luke, right? We, we've, had a, we've had a wild run, but it was a lot like dating. Now we're going to move in together. All right, we can do this every weekend. You know what I mean? <laughs> Have my people call your people. So uh, I'm interested to you know ask you who your interests are, who you be with. Let's do this thing. Who's taking out the trash? Who's doing the dishes? Which one are you? Uh, I'll, I'll be the trash, but uh, yeah, we have, there's also a third member of this marriage, Jay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Speaking of Luke. Do you think Jay's trolling the people? A, a, a man that technologically advanced is making it sound like he's uh, in the Lincoln Tunnel producing the show? I don't know, but everyone hates it because it sounds like there's a jet engine that makes it impossible to understand without him screaming, spraying his probable COVID all over his computer equipment. I don't know if that is transferable to other humans or not, but nevertheless, probably not a great idea. So the less we hear of Jay, I'm going to say the better while he has that... A window AC unit, you know. Uh, no, no, it sounds good today. Powering it, uh, in. it sounds good today. I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm Thanks, positive. Jay. Yeah. Many a time we have heard that from Jay, and it has not been true. Uh, yes, BC, today is my first day as a full-fledged member of the CBS family. I don't have another job to get to. However, I do have some HR meetings after this. All good ones. Yes. Setting up Much some 401k needed sexual and some insurance. harassment training coming your yes. way. Luke, okay. Maybe, maybe a little bit of that as well. But uh, that's it, dude. So I am, I am all yours. I am all Showtimes. I am all CBSs to do whatever we want with this project. I'm all in, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And without further ado, BC, there was a lot to get to over the weekend. So uh, with my mouth breathing and inattentiveness to the beginning well, well, of the on, show, notwithstanding. Can, can we pub some things? Can we get people out there on the uh, YouTubes to check out Fair our enough. interviews with the stars of the fantastic five-part Outcry documentary on Showtime? Uh, yes. Our guy, GK, Greg Kelly, as well as the fantastic director. Uh, these are These are worth your time. Yes, uh, so if you want to check those out, they're out a little bit late because we had a few hurdles we had to clear, but they're up right now on the YouTube channel. You can go and hear what it's like for the man Greg Kelly himself to be what appears to be falsely accused and to talk about him rebuilding his life. That is, I mean, is that really my well fault? Direct- is it really my fault that got delayed? You know, more news out of I know this. Right? I know this. It sure as hell ain't my fault. I know that. There's nothing you could pin on me in that whole debacle. Also, if you want to try Showtime to watch shows like that, you can go to Showtime.com right now and get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. And, BC, it should be known, we now have a dedicated page 
for Morning Combat on the Showtime store. You can go to the Showtime store right now, type in Morning Combat with a K, and all of our merch pops up. It's got your face and my face. My even even this is true, BC. Even my dad was impressed. Can you believe that? Whoa! Uh, impressed enough to wear a sweatshirt around the uh, backyard fire, or no? No, not that impressed. But <laughs> impressed that my face was on the Showtime website. He thought that was actually pretty interesting. Well, that, so, and that's a testament to our fine viewers and listeners for supporting us. We said from the beginning, right? As I knocked this microphone over, we're about to blow up. This is Phase One. MK almost every day coming your way, uh, Luke. We got a lot of good ideas that we're going to be rolling out in the uh, weeks and months to come. So I'm so fired up to be here. Sit back, relax, put on your seatbelt. You've definitely never been on a ride like this before. Also, one quick point of clarification. Folks are wondering, are we going to be like five days a week starting tomorrow? No, it's probably going to take a few weeks for us to get going. We still have some planning to do and some strategizing. And believe it or not, without getting into the details, there's a lot of things that have to happen behind the scenes to get it ready. Even then, I would expect us no guarantees one way or the other. I would expect maybe more of a three-day rollout at first, and then we'll see how that goes, and we'll plan around that. So but I'd say before the end of this month, You'll be getting lots of extra content on a, um, if not daily, certainly near daily basis. But let us ease into it. This is a slow and steady wins the race kind of thing, not an immediate. Let's just flip the switch and go uh, over. So this month is over today, so you meant September. Well, I, so you try. Jay's calling it the thirty-first. You know what I mean? September. Yeah, I Jay, mean we'll, September. We'll, we'll handle the show from here, Jay. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. I just yes. clarifying for the people, just so there's no. Jay, confusion. why don't you go right. stick your face in front of that loud AC of yours that's in the window unit? Okay, with that out of like a college student, I mean, what an absolute loser! All right. Without further ado, BC, let's get to the points at hand that we have to break down our top five. Number one, we'll start with the UFC over the weekend. Alexander Rakic winning a pretty clear unanimous decision win over Anthony Smith. A lot of different pieces here that involve both Smith and Rakic. BC, go first. Was this a statement win for Rakic at 205 pounds? No, it was an impressive win, though, and it can be that without being a statement. It was well-rounded. He had some great success on the feet, some absolutely vicious leg strikes, and, and what he did to open the third round with his striking and punches was equally impressive, and then obviously the dominance on the ground. It wasn't a statement, though, Luke, for a couple reasons, and look, he took some heat for this, including from Justin Gaethje's uh, Twitter account about his decision to more or less, I don't want to say lay and pray, especially in round two, he was actively looking to land strikes but in that third round he was very content to just control the fight on the ground and I think the biggest misstep he made in this was the way in which he celebrated the victory with seven eight seconds left he got off the ground he's already jumping up and down celebrating and then lets out one of those screams it's the kind of scream that tells you I just did something spectacular here's the problem though in the interview afterwards he says you know I'm ready for a title shot right now not with that performance. That performance was a solid move up the ladder, let people know you're for real performance, but when you do not actively look to finish that and you are content with, with getting to this level, with main eventing and showing people you can win, you did put a somewhat immediate ceiling on how quickly they will match you and the level of praise we will give you in this spot. I'm not going to damn him. A win is a win, and he dominated that fight. But he chose to play it a little bit safer than he probably needed to because anytime they were on the feet together, he was chopping Smith down with those legs and really just beating him to the punch. 
This was a beaten man in Smith, and we can get to that in the future. Great win for Rakic, but you can't be talking about a title shot when you choose to end it in that fashion. Yeah, and even Dominic Reyes was out there calling the main event lame, although I missed it. What did Justin Gaethje say on Twitter about this? He was basically saying the just bleed inside of him uh, kind of wished Rakic ended up losing it for in the second round, sort of making that active decision that he was content just controlling from the top without really, really pouring forward and going for the finish like we saw mm. in round three. Yeah, what's sort of frustrating about Rakic is you can't, that's not the performance that gives you an indication of his full ability or ceiling, or frankly, even his weaknesses either. It's the kind of of middle-of-the-road performance that to beat a guy like Anthony Smith, you can only say good things about it, and it does mean a lot. The significance of it is there. In that sense, it's like kind of a statement, right, to be able to beat somebody that highly up the food chain and to do it without much of an issue, right? And so if I told you, Rakic is going to win, and he's not going to have much of an issue. If I told you that on Friday, you'd be like, okay, that's pretty great. And then when you see the particulars of it, you're like, okay, but maybe he could have gone into like greater effort. Maybe he could have done a few more tricks. I mean, here is basically the problem, and we'll get to a part of this when we talk about Neil Magny here in just a second. But the first part of the problem is Rakic only has 15 total fights. He was coming off of a loss. He had a camp in Croatia at this time. And with the whole COVID thing and everything else, I think he was just happy to get back in the win column. He was happy to get a win over Anthony Smith. And there's nothing really wrong with that. I think the part that you raised, which is, did you really wow anybody? Did you impress anybody? Did you really show us that your game had elevated to the next level? That part to me, I didn't see the last one. In fact, the win over Manuel, while only like, you know, 45 seconds or so, was certainly much more exciting by virtue of, the imagination you got about him afterwards. Wow, what can this guy really do? This time you got the sense of like, okay, we kind of know his level, but we weren't really forced to reimagine the interesting possibilities of the development of his game, which is frustrating because he's young. I think he has the capacity to be exciting. He is huge for this weight class. If there was a UFC cruiserweight division, he would be a perfect candidate for it. He is, I mean, because I've been next to Anthony Smith several times. He's not a small fry. And Rakic looked to be just noticeably You love yourself, Samantha Smith. We know this, Luke, okay? We know this. Well, I'm just sort of pointing out, I love Rakic too. I was high on him a long time ago. And so to see the physical difference there was alarming. It's just that, like, there was, you just felt like, okay, you made it there in third, fourth gear. Is there a fifth gear? Can you find a fifth gear? And if you have one, what does it look like? So to me, it was, I'll I'll wrap up here very quickly. I'll wrap up very fast, which is, I appreciate what it means to beat someone like this Coming off of a loss, first fight since the pandemic, you're still very young in your career. Fair enough. But if you really want to do something special in this division, it doesn't start when you get to the title. It has to happen before that. This was not per se special. Yeah, and the the, the end the end of your comment, the spirit of that I can agree with. I did want to counter two things. One he beat uh, Volkan Ozdemir. I know he got a split decision loss. I went back and watched that this morning. He won that fight. That was a step forward, and that's what each of his wins have been, a solid step forward. And one other thing you said was he didn't necessarily wow us by showing us the full game. I think he lacked the wow of going for the finish, but this was basically a showcase for two-plus rounds of how much his wrestling has evolved to mix with what you mentioned, really big size for this division. So, again, from the what we actually saw in the cage, the positives – I think he actually showed us more of his game. This wasn't that violent head kick of Manoel where you didn't learn a lot. I learned a lot about his three-round stamina, at least, about his poise, about his well-roundedness. 
I just need, if you're going to act the part of a guy that says, look at me, give me the title shot, you got to start aiming toward the direction of what they look for in a title contender. You can keep winning. See, I- you're eventually going to run into a title shot if you keep winning. You can go that route. But it's kind of like, I always go back to it, 1991, Western Conference Finals, Lakers win, they go to the finals, Sam Perkins celebrating the locker room. He looks around, everybody's sitting there with a quiet face. Magic Johnson stands up. And he goes, we don't celebrate Western Conference championships on this team, all right? Wait, keep, save it to the end. I don't need you screaming into the microphone after you lay on a guy for three rounds, all right? They wait, wait, wait until you knock somebody out and you make a true statement that you're ready for the title. So it's so funny you said I was high on Smith because I'm always high on Smith. That's true. But I'll actually tell you why I disagree with you a little bit about Rakic. The reason why I got high on him was because of his UFC debut against Francimar Bahosa. Now, I am not comparing Bahosa's skill to Smith, but to me, this was what was frustrating. Rakic won that fight by taking him down and getting on top and using ground and pound. Not in the totality of it, but in long stretches of that fight. And I was impressed at his physicality. I was impressed at his takedowns. I was impressed at everything it means to fight that kind of a strategy, which was, I believe, his UFC debut. I was like, whoa, who is this kid? So to me, when he does the exact same thing against Smith, yes, harder to do that. I want to see you up the ante a little bit. There wasn't hardly any guard passing. Granted, Smith is a black belt, but we're talking about progressing from 2017. There was some ground and pound, probably not enough. There just wasn't the kind of signals to me that there is the development in that portion of the game that there needs to be to really begin to put a stamp on a division. You can beat good guys, but you know the reason why the Uzdemir fight was even close was for probably some of the reasons why this one was boring, and that's the through line. There just wasn't enough stepping on it when you need to step on it, and that's frustrating given his tools. Now, it brings us to Anthony Smith, BC, which is he was having all kinds of interesting comments afterwards, maybe switching back to middleweight, which I know was a horrible cut for him. He was talking about how strong Rakic is. This is two losses in a row now. What's next for Anthony Smith? I think the best answer here to not sound too reactive, right? Because from what you saw on there, like he's too young to talk about retirement or walking away, but he's clearly not going in the right direction. He's absorbed some heavy beatings in both wins and losses, and I think he's fighting too quickly of late as well. Luke, the best thing I could say is take a break. Take a long extended break, re-examine in camp, uh, in your training camp, in your strategies, in, in, in everything about your game, what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. I could sit here and look back at his resume and pick apart very critically and say he sort of arrived as a potential heavyweight, uh, light heavyweight title challenger at a time when there really weren't a lot of names to pick from. He said, you know, he bounced back from that knockout loss to Maheda, rebuilt himself with three wins, you know, against Ozdemir, against my buddy Rashad, against Wash Shogun Hua, okay. But I'm going to keep him that credit. He went five hard rounds with John Jones, and he didn't take that lazy way out backdoor DQ win to win the title, and I still respect him for that. I don't think he was all you thought he was, but I certainly don't think he's done. I do think he needs a longer look at what's happening, Luke, because you're going to become the Cowboy Cerrone of 205, and I mean late career Cowboy Cerrone pretty soon if you keep just going back in there and just say, all right, let's roll the dice again and let's see what happens. Right. Well, I mean, the question is, what did I think he was? And what I think he was was disrespected, right? Now I think he is compounding the problems that he had in any weight class with just ill-advised fights, to your point, taking too soon. But when he had beaten late career Rashad, late career Shogun, those are nice wins, but they don't tell you much. Well, then he fights 
Uzdemir and finished him from the back, which, by the way, no one expected him to do. Certainly the odds makers did not think he was going to. Had the fight against John... Had the fight against John Jones, didn't go his way. Okay, no harm, no foul. And then he goes and turns right around and then submits Alexander Gustafson and retires him by choking him from the back. At that point, I felt like Anthony Smith was finally getting the respect that he deserved. Folks were saying he was not very good all the way up until that point. And to me, it was like, I don't know what y'all are looking at. He clearly is very, very talented. The problem is... He then has two good rounds against Teixeira and then takes an absolutely epic beating that he did not need to. I actually interviewed him before this fight, and I was like, how are you feeling physically? He's like, yeah, great. I had the teeth replaced, blah, blah, blah. Like He was treating it like it was very routine, and he is certainly very, very tough, but I just did not like the easiness with which he was treating some pretty substantive injuries. And I'm not saying it's a bad psychological beating, but that's going to be one that's going to take maybe a little bit more time than normal to get over and now he's lost three of his last four that's the problem to me it's excusable in and of their own rights to lose to to share especially if had a good showing early or john jones this was one that you shouldn't have taken i think this quickly this was one that should have been a little bit more thought out this was one that should have been happening towards the end of the year if not early first quarter of 2021 so what's next for him? I actually do not recommend a drop down to middleweight. That Every story he's ever told about how hard and difficult and nasty it was, that's not the retreat position. Now, maybe if there's some kind of crazy mad scientist, nutritionist out there who can find a way to get it done without those things, okay, that's an opportunity to explore. But middleweight has gotten young and interesting and difficult seemingly overnight. And now at light heavyweight, this is a place he already occupies at a relatively high, high spot. I think your advice is right on. Take a break. Do not rush back. Train. Work on your craft. Everything else that you need to. Find whatever uh, um, positions in this fight you didn't think went your way. Work on them. And then come back first, maybe second quarter of 2021. And then let's see what the situation is there. He's not close to a title shot anyway. There's no reason to be a four of your last five fights losing kind of guy. Reset. And then from there, you can make some evaluations. Luke, All right, which I, takes us now. Can I jump in? No, no. Can I jump? You don't have a job to get to. Uh, you know, I'll, I can stiff on Jay. Jay, Jay is losing his shit behind the scenes can, here, just so you know. Can I ask you a difficult question? And nobody likes Please. being asked these kind of questions about their family. And look, you've identified you're an Anthony Smith guy. I'm a Yoana guy. All right. Uh, well, uh, so here's the deal, Luke. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, your wife's a real nice lady, but you can't cook. The two Anthony Smith wins that you're banking on that tell you he's a legitimate 205 pound title contender are Volkan Ozdemir and Alexander Gustafsson. True or false, if you're going to be hypercritical, it's not his fault, but haven't those wins aged not so well based on the performances of both guys in the aftermath that maybe, just maybe, we were wrong to believe he's this guy? He may have intangibles of toughness that, that carried him up to that level, but he might not actually be that guy. He submitted them both from the back. That's not toughness, BC. I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm basically asking you, does the fact that both of those wins don't look as good now as they did then, does that change anything? I think certainly you could say certain resumes age better than others. Connors has aged really well. I still think those wins were valuable based on who he was beating in the ranked positions at those times. But to your point, Gustafson certainly fallen on hard times, retired after that one and then came back and looked terrible against Fabrizio Verdum. And certainly Uzdemir has had his fair share of challenges to that point. You could argue, as you mentioned, that he had lost to Rakic rather than defeated him. Okay, sure. There's no denying that those are not 
they don't carry the same uh, shine and luster they did at the time he got them. I'm perfectly willing to admit that. But are those wins over top 10 guys at light heavyweight at virtually in any way you want to slice it? Yes, of course they are. The point about Smith was not that he was the next coming of Christ. The point is everyone said he was a terrible middleweight who went up to light heavyweight and just got lucky. No, he didn't. No, that's not true. He had those two wins over, as we mentioned, Rashad and Shogun, and those are, you know, those are great to build your name and your visibility, but they don't really tell us hardly anything. The other ones, while they don't carry the same lasting significance, they absolutely did tell us he belongs. And I think that's the only thing I've been asking people to accept. He is a very high level. May have been fool's gold. No, I got shirts that those make me look like fraudulent. I've been in the gym, Luke. Okay, I got the, those are not, the T-shirts cut the right way, okay? It's fool's gold. Those are not fraudulent wins. That they don't mean the same thing that we thought that they might have certainly is an argument you could make, and I wouldn't really dispute it too strongly. That they are worthless or that they really don't mean anything in the end is total overreaction. This is what I mean, dude. There's this, there's this constant desire to rob Smith of credibility, and I don't really understand it. Look at the losses that he has and use that. You don't need anything else to make the argument. They're perfectly fine on their own and some of his, I think, bad decision-making and taking this fight too early. Everything else to me counts in his favor. Okay. You're very, very uh, fair response, Luke. I, I, a difficult question, fair response. I'll give you that. All right. So with that in mind, BC, let's go to you again on this one. I've got a, a lot of thoughts on this. Neil Magny, what do you want to say? Ragdolls? Easily beats? Robbie Lawler? I mean... A lot of different ways you could put this out here, but he basically controls him for three full rounds and gets the unanimous decision nod. BC, let's start on the losing side of the equation this time. Should Robbie Lawler retire? Here's here's what's really difficult about this, and I got last minute super excited about this fight. Why? Because I don't care if he's old, young, or in between. You got to ask yourself an honest question about Robbie Lawler. He may not be your favorite fighter in the traditional mold of that's my guy, I identify with him, I cheer him. But the way I look at it as when it's, you know, 11.30 p.m. on a Thursday night and you're four beers deep and you're flipping around UFC Fight Pass, who is the fighter that you go to more often than not? For me, it's Robbie Lawler. He freaking entertains But there's different ways of knowing when a guy is washed. We're just so trained to believe it's the Chuck Liddell way. It's the old gunslinger going out there time after time and just getting sent, you know, deep down to the deep, dark depths. And you're just like, the chin's not there. He doesn't respond anymore. It's time to go. This was similar to that, unfortunately, Luke, just not in the traditional way that we view it. This was certainly a bad style matchup for him, but this was just a guy who couldn't pull the trigger, and that was tough to see. You know he wants to. You know there was spurts in round three where he did at least try, but overall, it's just not the same guy anymore. So should he go? He could go, and it would be fine. If he wants to linger, and if UFC can join him in this brigade and give him not Diego Sanchez, but Diego Sanchez-type opponents, other older names who aren't going to take him down necessarily. They're going to stand and bang. He could have a nice little victory lap in a tour, probably win a couple, still make fun fights. But from the standpoint of chasing a title, I think it is over, Luke. I just see a guy who's been through a million wars, and for whatever reason, however that computes inside of him, I just didn't see a guy who could adjust to what was happening and you know, we and maybe now you go back and look at the Covington fight. Did we see some of that there as well? I see a guy who looks a little bit more like Tyron Woodley these days, unfortunately, where it's like I can see it, I know it's in there, but he's lost the ability to get it out. I mean, how many fighters on the UFC roster can claim that they have multiple pro fights documented 
that took place prior to 9-11. I mean, that Robbie Lawler has three of them. I mean, that's how long he's been doing this. He's been doing this predating 9-11. It, it is a shocking duration for, for his career. And to even be in the UFC at this point is amazing in its own right. So first, I would say the longevity I admire, but we are at the other end of what it means to have that longevity. The part where you begin to ask, right, but how much longer? He's lost four of his last five. I really believe this. I don't think either Carlos Condit or Robbie Lawler were ever the same after that insane war they had. And and Lawler's had many wars, certainly. Uh, Condit to an extent, too. But that one was that was a game changer. Both of their careers never recovered after that. Now, Lawler did have a win over Cerrone. The Askren fight, certainly not without its fair share of controversy. But the only time he cleanly got his hand raised was that Cerrone fight. That is it. Everything else since then has been a loss. And so you have to ask yourself, dude, what happened on that night and where are they today? So should he retire? Well, I'll say this. If you're not at least thinking about it, something is wrong. Now, I'm not going to say he should retire tomorrow and that's the end of it. Your point, I think, is well taken, which is, is he a title contender anymore? No, he's not. Not even close. And I don't think he's going to be. The other part about it is, what does he look like relative to how he looked like at his peak? Let's say when he beat Josh Koscheck when he came back to the UFC for his second stint after Strike Force. He looks like a far cry from that. Not even, not even close, which I don't say with glee or, you know, yay. I say it like, ugh, you know. It's just, it's, it's the father time has come for him. And I don't know if ultimately, but certainly it is, it is, he is making gains on him. He is just not fighting the same way he did before. He doesn't have to seem to have the same zip and pop. He doesn't pull the trigger as much. He's just got a lot of characteristics that happen with fighters who've been doing it as long as they have. So what I'll say is he needs to figure out for himself, what are his goals at this stage in his career? Because if the goal is I want to win a title, well, then he probably should retire. If the goal is, I want to finish out my contract, I want to get a couple of interesting more fights, I don't think he has to retire if that is the place he's in, BC. But either way, one, you got to have a view towards the door that has exit over the top of it. And two, you need to take fights that are appropriate with the stage of your career that you're in, which are not top contenders, which are not guys who are going to be on a title path, some other version of them for his own health, for the sport's sake, and frankly, as a favor to the contenders who want to move on in different positions. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. I th- do you think that's fair at this point? It's a function of his goals? A hundred percent. Yeah. And in knowing him, can't speak for him, but I've interviewed him a bunch and I've always, you know, been taken aback at how little he cares for the, the fanfare side of the sport, you know, the money, the fame, all that stuff. I mean, he's one of those old school military fighting systems guys from the beginning at the core. He's about fighting. He's about challenges. So it's going to be up to him to figure out that exact question that you asked right there. I'd just like to see him at the very least if he wanted to continue, Luke. I think he could still brawl. I think he could still be a part of some fun fights. And I don't think I'm seeing a guy where it's necessarily... I mean, is it damaging for any anybody to take on this type of damage? Yes, but I think he can right. he can still safely do that against the right <clears throat> kind of talent. And look, we're going to talk about this in a second with Anderson Silva, but I just think that UFC has never really had a firm handle, for the most part, on how to book aging names who still have life to them you know it's it's a constant let's let's try to recycle them and feed them to the younger guys so the younger guys can make names and i know that 
there's a, there's a reason for that in some way. And that's how the business and the food cycle works, food chain, excuse me. But at some time, you know, you got to match them in, in fights that make sense. And uh, maybe this is what UFC matchmakers needed to see to realize everything you just said. And now I think we all know it. Let's see if Robbie does too. Yeah, last thing I'd say about this, you can look at the story of MMA in the 2000s through his career. As I mentioned, he has three fights that predate 9-11. He's got fights on King of the Cage. He had fights in the early stage UFC, like UFC 37 to, I don't know, 40-something or so. He fought Evan Tanner. Then he fought in Super Brawl, which became Icon Sport, which was a big, um, re- uh, you know, fairly international, regional-level organization back then. He fought in Elite XC. He fought in IFL. He fought in Strike Force. then back to UFC. You can look at what MMA did in the 2000s and 2010s through Robbie Lawler's career. It's an unbelievable run that he's had. But at this point, I think it's time to reevaluate what it all might mean. Now, there is one thing we really need to get to. And I would like to go first on this one, BC. And I mentioned I was going to talk about this with Rakic as well as Magny. So Neil Magny wins. I'm not going to take away the validity of this win from him. Oh, he went a little bit too forward there. Not talking about Canelo just yet, Jay. Got to mind your P's and Q's. Here's the point I'd like to make about this. Neil Magny and what Rakic did is, I'm not going to say it's the future of the UFC, but it's going to be the future of a lot of guys, which is, it's something I've seen in Leon Edwards too, where they get very, very good at control positions, whether that's pressing someone up against the fence, on top, in a clinch. They don't really have full command of the deep levels of that position, nor are they trying to. It's not the goal. But what they can do is they can do enough ground and pound or enough sort of against the fence, kind of, um, you know, uh, in the clinch, elbows, whatnot. And what ends up happening is they don't ever really become super dangerous as a function of being a finisher, but they become very dangerous as a round winner position controller. And it's not very fun for the fans in many ways because you're not really ever moving to mount or really, you know, aggressively holding the back with threatening with chokes for long periods. You might get a little bit there, but not really. I have noticed more and more and more fighters are beginning to do this because if you think about it, do I want to learn all the intricacies of mount or do I want to learn it halfway and then spend the rest of that time I could be spending on that in other forms of control positions? And so it's actually a very clever way to win fights, especially if you have good cardio, but it's not very effective, nor is it trying to be, in terms of being a finishing fighter. I think we need to begin to realize some fighters are going to do this. It's a perfectly rational thing to do if you're physically strong and you have good cardio, but it's bad as an entertainment um, aspect. Yeah, and look, I I hate to use words like... uh you know, gatekeeper and things like that for a guy in Magni who's won a bunch of fights in a row and has looked good overall, but he's fighting in a style that's more of that, right? Like this fight was to find out what Robbie Lawler had left. We found out because Neil Magni is a certain level good enough, like when he rallied past Tony Rocco Martin. But I haven't seen yet that extra added sprinkle on top and splash that tells me, A, he's a title contender, or B, I want him to be one. Right. I mean, he's, there's no argument. He's very good. Very good. Leon Edwards, very good. Rakic, very good. But that idea that you're a, a, a threat as a finisher, you know, again, the man will win notwithstanding, uh, th- there needs to be more evidence for that, I think. And I, there, uh, you're seeing this intentional, strategic posture that doesn't even look for it in many cases. All right. With that in mind, BC, let's go back to you here. Canelo 
typically fights on two major dates a year, BC. One is Cinco de Mayo, which is, you know, not necessarily the most historic date on the calendar, but he does fight on one other date that is very historic, which is Mexican Independence Day, which is in about two weeks. And he has no opponent. To my knowledge, he has no intentions of fighting on that date, even though he may have at some point. Dude, what on earth is going on with Canelo and Golden Boy and DAZN? Uh, not enough. Not enough answers. We've been in this holding pattern seemingly the entire quarantine of, of, of we know Canelo is going to come back this fall, but against two in the conversation of the opponents, which started with, w, with WBA super middleweight champion Callum Smith, who's unbeaten from England. He's exciting to a certain degree. And Billy Joe Saunders, another title holder at 168, who certainly can find an interesting challenge in their style-wise against Canelo. Then those names went away. And now they're back as the leading contenders. And along the way, we've seen some others of varying degree, most of the kind of guys we don't want to see Canelo against. This has been a massive fail from my point of view. And look, there's already been a lot of pressure on DAZN overall with a lot of the rumors of their demise. Can they keep putting on big fights under that business model? Obviously, the quarantine came at a wrong time for everybody, them as well. But they're committed and they're on the books to paying Canelo Alvarez $35 million per fight and paying Golden Boy a reported $40 million overall to put on the fight, pick the opponent, all that stuff. Uh, now it's just stretched out to the level where there's no buzz at all about the biggest star in the sport, arguably the sport's most important fighter, coming back. Both the Smith fight and both the Saunders fight, I look, I can get excited about either one from a boxing purist point of view, especially if you did the right kind of media tours to get Billy Joe's mouth out there to insult Canelo and get the drum beating. But uh, now we're talking about Canelo coming back in November, and I, I just feel like nobody cares, Luke, and that's a really rough spot to be in. Uh, Saunders and Smith aren't going to attract the casuals or the, or the part-time boxing fans. Uh, Triple G would, and I know that they probably would be fighting Triple G right now if it wasn't for Gennady's weird decision that he wants to do a mandatory first that he promised against some guy we never heard of. All in all, though, whether you want to put the blame on DAZN, Golden Boy, Canelo, or all three, this is a pretty much a disaster because we've seen when boxing initially came back from the quarantine and it just wasn't anything happening to grab you. Now we're starting to see the pickup of some good matchups. We had one over the weekend. Showtime boxing's kicking in. We got some pay-per-views coming. Fox is back. We're getting a little bit of momentum. You need that Canelo fight there, as to quote Scott Coker, a, a, a play, you know, the, the tent pole, a placeholder of this is the weekend I see him. And for this to come down in this spot, I'm not saying it's easy for DAZN when you owe the guy $35 million, finding the right opponent that makes sense. But at some point, you got into the Canelo business to, to sink or swim, right? You, you paid all that money because, to make this happen. Make it happen. You paid Gennady the money. Make it happen. I don't care who you have to please or what you have to do. DAZN launched on the idea of Anthony Joshua and eventually getting us Canelo Triple G3. Uh, just make it happen already because I'm at a point where I'm even sick of hearing about it and going a whole year with Canelo either not fighting or maybe coming back in November for something that ends up feeling ho-hum not a good look overall, Luke. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have much to add except a, a couple of things here. I know that this is a Showtime product, so everyone's going to be like, oh, these guys are just bashing DAZN to do that. Well, let me say something. I'm a DAZN customer. I've been a DAZN customer since the first day you could sign up for it. I think their name is stupid, but I like, in theory, what the product is supposed to stand for. I did not cancel my subscription during the pandemic, and I didn't log in one effing time. I think the first time I logged in again was... 
God, I don't, I'm not even sure when it was, but it was relatively recently. I just spent months not even using it. I did not cancel my subscription because I think boxing is in a better space when DAZN can succeed. And I mean that the, uh, truthfully. But here's the thing. They basically, their premise of launching relied on a few things. And I'm not going to get into all of it, but two of them are really important. One was that pay-per-view was dying. Even in this pandemic where millions of Americans are out of work, that is clearly not true. And I thought there was a time where maybe we were headed that way because DAZN had come around. WWE Network had essentially moved away from pay-per-view. UFC was doing something kind of weird by going to ESPN+, Plus, which was not traditional in that sense. But it's still basically kind of pay-per-view if you had cut out the middleman of the Comcasts and the Verizons and everybody else. Well, okay, I, I thought that was something worth taking seriously, but they have not been able to deliver on a consistent kind of product, even really prior to the pandemic, to make us believe that that was something that was really going. They were going to help usher in. If anything, there are as many or more boxing and UFC or MMA pay per views than, frankly, there kind of ever have been. There, there's been no real decline in that sense. That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is, dude, if the most popular fighter in your sport can't get going on a regular clip and not every fight has to be exciting we can forgive bc and i think you would agree the occasional rocky fielding matchup nice guy overmatched okay whatever you can let that one go on occasion if the other pieces of the puzzle are there even when they have a move up a bunch of weight classes they still make them sit behind the ufc fights which people then defended in real time this like <laughs> cuck move where you're allowing another product to run over yours sort of signaling the less importance of it, and then you can't find a reasonable fight for him even when you sign the fighters all together there in the same space. I mean, you can make a million excuses about how boxing is hard to get the fights done, and it's expensive, and there's just a lot of sort of middlemen with, uh, who, who impede progress, and I'm sympathetic to that. But at some point, this was the claim you were making. The claim you were making was that you could get enough of them in-house. You could get enough of them in rotation. That you could put them out there long enough that pay-per-view would go away. And none of it has come true. I will not cancel my DAZN subscription unless and until DAZN gets rid of its combat sports profile. I don't know if they will. And if they will, I don't know when that will be. I will keep it. But to be clear, their central mission, which they told the world loudly they were after... They have not fulfilled it, and they've not even come close, BC. And I yeah, think that the Canelo fight, and interesting, is all emblematic of it. Final point on this is, is just to echo what you said. It's not their fault that they launch a campaign that says we're going to kill pay-per-view, and then boxing pay-per-view becomes more valuable than it's ever been because we can't have live stadiums and a live gate and all that stuff. I'm just saying, hey, DAZN, you already got Canelo and Triple G under, under, your, under your stable. You're paying them stupid amount of money. You're overpaying them to make your name. The fact that they haven't fought, I'm not saying that fight is the fight that saves anything. I'm just saying, you got into it to match those guys together. That's just an example of where are we at right now? What are we doing? Because if you can't even get them together on your own platform and make it work, then you know, forget about taking down boxing pay-per-view or competing in that space anyway. I'm just as talking as a fan. I want to see these fighters fight. I want to see it matter. Boxing needs big fights right now. Okay, Let's get Canelo back out there and let's bang the drum and make it interesting. Very quickly, over the weekend, uh, Jose Ramirez defending, I believe, his what? His WBO, WBC titles at light welterweight. So it's 140 pounds, basically, uh, defeating Victor Postal. Are they going to set up the uh, Josh Taylor fight for the full unification? What is your takeaway from the weekend there? 
you know, that's obviously the plan. Josh Taylor has a stay busy mandatory in September against a uh, Asian man who I will not try to pronounce his name, but uh, he should win that and we should get this fight. Look, I want to shout out top rank. Uh, this was a fight on paper. Third time they tried to make it. Unfortunately, Postal had to fly to China in February just to find out the fight was canceled. Um, this was one of the better hardcore fights and I think it played out that way. It was a fun little chess match and you got to give Postal credit for having an argument to have one at the end of the day. He loses a tight majority decision. And now you got to ask yourself this. Jose Ramirez, after the fight, wasn't really happy with his own performance. He got a little bit of flack. We do know that, as they said on the broadcast, his intangibles are the true elite things about him. His character, his, his cardio, his pressure, all that stuff. And it's not as if he's not a good boxer. He can do some things in there. But I don't think this fight, which was the final test to really get us excited about him and Josh Taylor, all four titles on the line... And oh, by the way, having that fight serve as the launch pad to maybe finally getting Terrence Crawford, the welterweight champion who's on his own island with top rank ESPN, a, an opponent that matters, an opponent where you can make a case that this guy might actually be able to give him trouble right now. Uh, we may see Terrence Crawford against Kel Brook, but we know it, it's an empty cupboard right now. He's not fighting the PBC guys at the moment. Top rank is doing a good thing of getting these guys at 140 ready. But Luke, from what I saw there, I don't know. I've got to like Taylor, who had uh, an easier handle against Postal than uh, than Ramirez did. And let's not forget, Terrence Crawford destroyed a prime uh, Victor Postal. I just didn't get the feeling that Jose Ramirez has an extra level to his ceiling to get even better than we've already seen. And on this course, look, that's fine. He'll be a tough out. But I don't see him beating Josh Taylor, and I certainly don't see him putting a dent in, in Terrence Crawford. Yeah, he sort of pinpointed that it was the lack of a crowd, which he typically feeds off of, that he was supposed to fight in February and the fight was delayed twice. And maybe, could be, I think you're right. It was not the kind of, it's like, well, okay, you know, you beat who you were supposed to beat. Postal only lost to who? Crawford, Taylor, and now Ramirez. I mean, he's not some chump. It's, just, it's a solid win. But you're right. It wasn't the kind where you're like, oh, this is the guy that's going to take it from Josh Taylor. Still, anytime you can get full-on title unification and someone can become only the fifth boxer at any point in history to have all the titles unified, it's, a, it's something you should make. It's something we should look forward to. Yeah, do you see, uh, by the way, Ruguru? You see Ruguru getting on Twitter afterwards saying, uh, no, I didn't. this is why you avoided me right there. We just saw why. Interesting, interesting. He lost to Josh Taylor in his last contest, right? He did, memory, and so. that was an absolute classic. Uh, close fight, yep. All right, let's get back to MMA here if we can very quickly. So it, it's not been 1,000% confirmed, but Dana White has hinted at it. Uh, I think even said explicitly this is what they're looking for this to be. Anderson Silva, I think in October or so, is going to fight Uriah Hall. All right, And it's a fine fight in the sense of, okay, I understand it, particularly BC on the Uriah Hall side. He was supposed to fight Jacare, a big-name opponent. That was the one when they did the COVID shows early in May in Jacksonville. And, of course, he regrettably got uh, sick, and they had to call that off. Then they were going to have Yoel Romero, and he had to withdraw for undisclosed reasons. I bring those up to say Hall has gotten with a new camp. He's with Safe Saud, who is one of the best trainers in the sport. You think, okay, maybe this guy's really going to you know, begin to finally build upon all that potential. And those were name opponents. Now he, he, you're like, well, what's he going to do? So they give him Anderson Silva. If I'm Uriah Hall, B.C., I love this fight. I love this fight because it's winnable. I love this fight because Anderson Silva still has a name. And if I'm the UFC, I understand why they made this fight. They probably see Anderson Silva is going to be, if not this one, then the next one, but certainly they want it to be done. 
and Uriah Hall can get that name opponent that they feel like they probably owe him at this point. They tried to give him two, and they couldn't. And if he gets that win, great. They can move him up, and they just need as many fresh contenders for whoever wins that title at UFC 253. You know, not the, the Hall would be the title shot winner, but I'm just saying, keeping that, that train moving. If you're Anderson Silva, I don't know why you accepted this fight other than you were forced to. Why on earth would he take this? Here's my question, BC. It's not that Uriah Hall beating him doesn't confer some kind of respectability upon his name. But we're talking about the greatest middleweight of all time here. Maybe the greatest fighter of all time. Beating Hall at this point is impressive, but it doesn't meaningfully change his resume in any kind of way. Moreover, he's probably not going to beat him. Moreover, I did not like that fight that Connor had suggested in the sense of that's what I thought the best use of Connor's time was. But you can't tell me that Connor going to the French Riviera, wherever the hell he's at these days, not fighting, rather than fighting Anderson Silva, is a better use of his time. And I have a very hard time understanding what Silva gets out of this because his chances aren't good. And even if he wins, it doesn't do anything for him versus the Connor fight. Even if you lost that, it's fun. It's sort of frivolous in a way. And it's really weird and unique. I didn't like that fight either, but I'll take Connor versus Silva over what we have this time any day of the week. Yeah, I hate this. H- hated it. Two snaps down all the way here, Luke. I've been really <laughs> critical of how they've booked Anderson Silva at the late half of his career. Do you know what Silva should be doing right now? He should be doing what Fedor's doing in Bellator. Like, the reality is Anderson Silva would have a great time in Bellator. You can book him in fights that he can still win because even at 45, there's still some real fun things left in the tank. Not title contending things. Not, let's go have him beat these grinders and these hard-ass guys. But fun fights. Could you imagine him in Bellator right now against, like, Machida and we'll bring back Rashad and, you know, you could do some fun against Fedor. You could do some fun, weird matchmaking. Here's the thing about UFC, though. They can do the same thing. We always credit UFC because the best always have to face the best. And, again, I'm not naive to the idea that eventually your stars face your up-and-comers and you sort of... Uh, go through the food cycle there. And, you know, Rashad, I mean, uh, Anderson going in there, by the way, against uh, Israel Adesanya was somewhat of that, right? And he gave a great effort, and he shined up Adesanya for his next step in the future. All that good stuff. They do not know how to book him overall. The Derek Brunson fight, what what was there to win there? That shouldn't have happened. The Cannoneer fight made no sense at all. This fight right here makes no sense at all. If he wants to keep fighting, and he's still a decent level of a draw, and he's exciting, and he's not out there getting knocked out, which, you know, last time I checked, outside of leg injuries and, and, and acting like a buffoon against Weidman, Anderson Silva doesn't get knocked out. Why don't you just give him his Bellator tour run right now in the octagon? The Conor fight's not a bad idea. You know what? I'd like Silva to fight. How about Robbie Lawler? You can't do that. How about another Nick Diaz-type mm. fight? That's what makes sense. He just wants to compete and have fun and take challenges. He gains nothing by fighting guys you have to fight to climb the ladder. Those days are over. They made one more fun Dan Henderson, Bizping 2 type run out of it and said, hey, if you beat Adesanya, you get one more title shot. And Luke, like I said, to his credit, he pulled out what was left inside of him, and that's fine. Those days are over, UFC. Wake up. Treat him like the legend he is. Put him in fun-ass main events. Give him the only legend that they've properly known how to book, and that's Rich Franklin, and that was by accident. He became the reliever in the bullpen. You need a name at 185. You need a name at 205. Call Rich Franklin, and he'll make some fun-ass fights. He'll knock out Liddell with a broken arm. That should be Anderson Silva right now. Why, does pe- why do people not get this, Luke? Yeah, and the other part about it is that you can't even argue he's never done the UFC solids in terms of matchmaking. 
he has taken on the guys like Adesanya and Cannoneer, the next wave. I mean, Adesanya was not champion at that point. So that next wave of contender to set them up with a name and a future and everything else, plus filling in for John Jones against Daniel Cormier on short notice at UFC 200, going to fight Michael Bisping in London. Like, the dude has done this part of his career already. You can't say he's never helped the UFC out. Yes, he absolutely has. If this is his last one, why is he not in the funnest fight that you can make on the roster? And maybe the Hall fight will be really good in this way and we're all just being super negative. Okay, fine. I will come on here and eat crow if that fight ends up being tremendous. But I have a feeling it's not going to be. It's going to end up being like, uh, you know, Hall probably wins and, you know, maybe there's exciting moments here or there, but it's, you know, relatively one-sided, relatively lackluster, and that's just the end of it. That's how the great Anderson Silva is supposed to go out of the UFC? It seems ridiculous to me. So I don't understand what the what the motivation is other than they have this sort of myopia about what they're to do with their aging stars. All right. Last Wait, but not least, we see... a couple more a... to sprinkle on. Can we throw GSP some money? Or, or if we're keeping him in the bullpen for Habib, that's fine. How about right. Junior Dos Santos? How about we put Andy out on a go-away at heavyweight for fun? Roll it out there. There's a lot better ways you can do this. Right, and to your point... Even GSP is saying he finds a fight with Khabib very, very unlikely, even post Dana White's recent comments, because they don't want him to go off with the title. Well, congratulations. You don't have to worry about that if it's Anderson Silva versus GSP or Anderson Silva versus Conor McGregor or whatever. None of those concerns are in play, and at least it keeps everybody busy. It's, I don't get it. I really don't hey, understand. Hey, Luke, are you okay, in a hurry? Because last... I've got an interesting question to ask you. You're not in a hurry. Go ahead. You don't have jobs, no, right? No, I do have an HR meeting, but uh, we got yeah, time. That's fine. I know people. Uh, Javier Mendez, the coach of Habib at AKA, came out and said an interesting thing to a Brazilian podcast. He said, um, if Habib ends up fighting GSP for the lightweight title in his walk-off fight next April, we're assuming he would have beaten Justin Gaethje to get there. He says the winner of that fight is the greatest of all time. Now, right when you hear that knee jerk, you're like, uh, you know, buddy, I got Bones Jones on line one, all right? It's, it's the booty call right. at 4 a.m. on the uh, street there in Albuquerque. Uh, um, but the more you think about it, though, look, I think John Jones is the go up and down every day of the week, don't ask me again, right? There are obviously still people who think GSP is right now. There are people who think Anderson, Anderson is or Fedor or whatever. There, there's still room in the argument, I think, until John goes up and wins the heavyweight championship there's still room to make that case. I stopped doing the knee-jerk thing, and I started thinking about it. If Habib retires right. at, like, 30-0, and 0 and he beats, uh, you know, Connor, Justin Gaethje, uh, GSP, uh, you know, you add on the other two, three, four solid-ass wins he's had, he's already in a spot being unbeaten and being so dominant where it's going to be hard to know exactly where to put him in the all-time. Maybe that's not out of the question you could say he's the GOAT after that. And if GSP won a third championship or a third division, of course he'd be the damn GOAT. I think Javier yes. Mendez is right. You can market it this way, and, and, and it's not insulting. That would be very interesting. Even if, because I always said, if GSP can't make lightweight, don't do the fight. There's nothing to gain from a catchweight fight at welterweight outside of money and, hey, I beat GSP. But I think if you bill it the right way and really make it about the GOAT, you might be able to get to, 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 to take that step forward past John Jones in the mythical all-time, who cares, greatest of all-time debate. Yeah, but here's the problem. If Khabib goes in there and does Khabib things to him at 155, then the reverse is going to sort of undo the fight, which is to say you're going to have a scenario where 
you could look at it and you could say, okay, it's still a nice win. It's a great win, as a matter of fact. And it'll probably make the UFC and those guys a boatload of money. I don't think it's going to be a bad fight in that sense. But you'd be like, well, he beat a GSP who fought two times over eight weight classes for the first time at 155, nearly the age of 40. Doesn't really tell you a whole lot about who's the GOAT there. That's the problem for me if you're Khabib. I understand that there's a name value to it and a substantive value to it. But I'm sorry, that's not the clincher for Khabib to be the greatest of all time if you beat that version of St. Pierre. Because we won't, and, and, and by the way, I don't even know if that's necessarily fair, but there's no way to know how good that version is, especially if he ends up getting housed. You're like, does it mean that Khabib was that guy? Or does it mean that this dude at nearly 40 years of age getting down to a weight class that was too unnatural for him Sort well, of you do know that him. it would be less about beating GSP for Habib and it would be the total body of unbeaten work that you'd make the debate Okay, but about. here's the... Di- uh, let me ask you. Name a fighter that has a better... In your mind, is Floyd Mayweather the best boxer of all time? He's not, right? He's up there, but no. he's not, right? Right. So name somebody better than him in terms of where you rank them that has losses on their career. Sugar Ray yes. Robinson? Yes, but it was a different era in which you're fighting every okay. month because you but had this is to. my point. And let's what not forget, you... Floyd was all about that unbeaten record, right? He made it the marketing, you know. I understand. Scheme, I understand. It's, just, it's a savvy thing. I get it. But here's my point. What, what is the difference between Ray Robinson's resume and Floyd's eras notwithstanding? It's not that the uh, Ray Robinson has losses, but he has so many more wins over so many more top contemporaries in a much more active clip. The amalgamation of, the, of, the, of it all really counts there. Now, 30 wins, it would make him easily, for, Floyd, or for uh, Khabib, easily the best lightweight of all time. I mean, that would not even be up for debate. Hell, he might get that if he beats Justin, to be honest with you. Yeah, right? Yeah, I, I so. mean, that's what we're talking about here. But greatest of all time, when a guy well, me, came down to your weight class, ask you a I don't tough know question. That. Are you, then that means, are you saying, and, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but are you saying that even with a win over Gaethje, that if Habib retires unbeaten next April, he will not have beaten enough elite contenders due to the gaps, due to injury and fasting and all that stuff. To, to be the greatest of all a, time, irrespective of weight class? No. To have a firm claim at the GOAT in your eyes, not anybody else, in Luke Thomas's eyes. Yeah, no, of course not. Why would you? To me, the losses... They count. They matter. But, dude, you got like I don't, they, they're not disqualifying from the conversation in the way that people think they are sometimes. How you does, lost them, when you lost them. It would be insane if you'd only lost one round in 30 fights. I mean, you, you would have to weigh that in the conversation, Luke. No, dude, again, he might already be, and if he beats Justin, he probably is the greatest lightweight, which, by the way, that's the toughest division in MMA. But to me, it's like beating GSP now. What's harder, beating GSP right now at 155 or beating Kamaru at 170? I'm going to say it's beating Kamaru. You might disagree with that. Now, at 170, I don't know. It gets a little bit dicier there if both are 170. But St. Pierre never been at 155, fought twice in eight years if they end up making that happen. That's a, that's a tougher fight than Kamaru at 170. I don't believe that. And so you have to ask yourself, what is the value of that win? And then it begins to get to a territory where like, that's the thing you're going to say is the nail in the coffin on the argument. I, don't, right, what I, if I cannot I, accept that. What if I substituted Tony Ferguson in for the April fight? Again, best lightweight of all time. And then, then the conversation gets a little bit dicier because, um, you know, what would it all mean I'm to have that All I'm saying is he's going to have domination? a case. He's going to have some fingers on that throne. On that, you know, he's going to reach for it. If he beats Tony and Justin to end the career, Luke... Yes. He's going to have a, I mean, a hand it, on that. Yes. And, and again, if he goes in there and houses both of these guys, then you're getting to a territory where it's like John Jones has, which is 
you know, I mean, well, the last few fights have been a little bit dicier, but up to up to the Tiago Santos fight, just sort of ran away with it. Okay, BC, we got to get. We don't have to go long just for the sake of going long. Let's quickly, 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 quickly look ahead to next weekend. You know what's funny? NBA ratings are down and UFC ratings are up, and I'm not mad about it. But it is kind of funny because the NBA is in the middle of their playoffs and UFC is putting out like contender series cards with just a few UFC events at the top. So next weekend, Alistair Overeem is taking on uh, Augusto Sakai. It's the right fight to make, BC, if you're matching up where everybody is. And Overeem still wants to find one more opportunity for a title shot if he can get there. Is the, is the Sakai fight really a meaningful mover in that direction? No, this this main event sucks. Is it as bad as the? Uh, <laughs> remember that time Derek Lewis and uh, Abdul? Uh, uh, what was that guy's name? Amir Khan Abdulov, the, you know the heavyweight. No, the guy that, uh, they, Abdurakimov. Yes, Shamil they Abdurakimov. fought in Al- UFC Albany. Yeah, this is as yeah. bad as that uh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, look, shout out to UFC. They got a fight card every weekend from now until like mid December. Like they're yep. the, they're the MVP. Forget Joe Exotic. They're the MVPs of this quarantine by far. Um, this is just an off week, Luke. I mean, did I prefer Jessica I, Cynthia Calvillo to this? Probably, maybe. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, your, your best friend, Michelle Pereira is back this weekend. Are you going to be excited for his backflipping? Yeah. Who's that circus clown fighting? Uh, Zalim Amadiev. Imadiev. All right. Hopefully he can do a, a spinning backflip off the cage and catch him with a, uh, reverse, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever, Luke, whatever. It's fine. Yeah, all right. And also, OSP versus Menafield. That's a good fight. That one got delayed because one of them had COVID. And then uh, Jalen Turner versus Tiago Moises. And then Cole Smith versus Hunter Azure. So there's some good fights. Needs more car, women's straw weights, if you ask me, Luke, okay? I can never get too many of them. Okay, now is the portion in the show where you guys get to ask us questions. You do this every Sunday on Instagram. It is time now for DMs from dogs. <laughs> And I'm not going to mouth breathe this time. I'm ready for the animation. Okay, BC, let's get right to it. Underscore, uh, at will, underscore, excuse me, AJA. Do you think the lack of a crowd and subsequent booing is allowing longer grappling exchanges to happen, leading to different fight cadences and outcomes? That's a great question. That is a great question. Who the heck is Will Will Asia? Will Aha? That's a great question. Wow. Um, you know what, Luke? I would like to see somebody who much nerdier than me with a lot of time really kind of try to figure that out because uh, there's been weird plus. I, I kind of like this season of the empty arena fights. You know, I, I mean, it, it, the, the only time it stands out to me is when there's a giant brawl and you're like, wow, people would be losing their ish over this. Outside of that, I've loved seeing the changes. You know, I, every fighter I talk to, the first thing I ask, how much does hearing the commentary and your opposing coach's corner, like, change things? I think this might be, it might be true, Luke. I would like to see the numbers verify this intuition. I would not be surprised if it's true, to be honest with you. I mean, the referees, dude, they're human. They're human. They're going, they can say all they want that the crowd booing has no effect on them. And I'm sure that they want that to be true. And in many cases, individually, this one, that one, it probably is true. But is the question, does booing overall have any measurable impact on the speediness of stand-ups? I suspect there probably are, and this is just a hunch, but I suspect there probably is some truth to that. How much, I don't know, but... You know, I, this idea that like the fans being removed makes no difference in the end. Sorry, I just don't believe that at all. Look, you can't um, go this. 
You can't go this whole show, by the way, and not mention that guy with that giant devil back tattoo on uh, Saturday night. Big win. Sean Brady. Sean Brady. Yeah. I felt like it's Paul not Felder a devil was going to... I think uh, that's a Japanese uh, sort of style of masking. Yeah. Paul Felder was like on the verge of fellatio there in, in the post-fight interview. Very excited for him. Uh, it was a big win. Looked very good. He was on the verge. He was on the verge of blowing him. I don't know if that was quite true, but uh, all right. At Dodo Bard asks... Do you think the recent NBA and MLB players protesting their respective games will help MMA fighters understand the efficacy of collective action? Fuck no. Can, can you translate Absolutely that question? not. <laughs> Basically, if you're asking what was the material change that resulted, and I'm not so much from MLB, but certainly from NBA players uh, protesting having those games after the shooting of Jacob Blake, I would say two things. One it forced this attention on Jacob Blake's situation that had kind of not dissipated, but had never really reached critical mass. I'd seen other shootings take greater national profile, and you may say for better or for worse, but it, it just sort of refocused attention on it, which was intentional by the NBA players. The second part is, I believe they reached a deal with most of the uh, owners of the venues in which they play to turn those venues into polling stations, um, which is a real tangible benefit and change. And so the question is, don't you guys, don't you MMA fighters see if you band together, you may not want polling changes or police brutality you know, awareness, whatever your cause is, don't you see working together gets you there? Dude, they know working together gets you there. No one wants to fall on their sword to get there. That's the difference. So no, it's going to do absolutely fuck all in terms of change. Uh, this is a tough spot here because UFC is not really recognizing any of this, right? Company decision to kind of be, look, uh, you know, you saw some of that stuff, uh, Dana saying, don't even mention the quarantine on our air. We want to be separate from regular life. So no political crossover at all will be your entertainment. Enjoy us. That would be obviously an easier mindset to accept if Dana wasn't at the RNC giving a passionate speech. And if you are inclined to not, uh, vote on that side of the line, then I'm sure you could have uh, issues with that. So in light of that, is it okay for the UFC to really have zero public statement? I mean, look, I don't even, I'm not saying on the back of the NBA jersey, it should say all these messages. You know, there's many ways to, to have a statement and, and put it out there. But do you think UFC's across the board just, this is not even happening, is the right move considering what we're, where we're seeing Dana on TV? Well, here, here's what I would say. I, I am totally in support of all of the movements that the NBA players are in support of. Like, I don't disagree ideologically with them at all, but I disagree with my colleagues, particularly in media, who are like, oh, the, uh, the UFC should come out and say they support Black Lives Matter. Why? Why? You know they don't believe it, number one. So just giving it stupid lip service is some kind of like, some, just some empty gesture is what you want. I don't want that. Number two, I am not one of these guys who looks for ethical and political leadership from sporting corporate entities or Especially any corporate fight entity. Promoters. Fight promoters. Yeah, it's like, We're it's like, for, it's like yeah. dude, you know, here's the thing. But not even forget about fight promoters. It's like, do you remember? I said this on my live chat. Do you remember what, if it was Dove or Nevaeh or Gillette did that like uh, anti-toxic masculinity ad? And they got a lot of shit for it for the way they, they handled it. But it's like, Dude, like I don't need any of these companies to be my compass for what is a moral choice in the world, especially when 
You were not created for those purposes. There are companies from the way from the day in which they're founded, BC, that built into the fabric of their identity, they're going to be part of some kind of ethical leadership. And you may not agree with that particular form of ethics, but it's part of who they are. I'll give you an example. Um, fair trade coffee, for example. You can buy the coffee, you can agree with the mission or not, but that's who they are. Part of what they're doing is to take care of what they think is a problem by virtue of how they arrange their business. Okay, yeah, fair Ch- enough. Chick-fil-A on Sundays. Deal with it, Luke, okay? Right, right. right. Gillette, you sell fucking at, you sell fucking razors. Like, you can save it. You can can it. I don't care. And it's the same <laughs> thing with this. With the whole, last thing I'll say on this, the same thing with uh, Colin Kaepernick and Nike. I'm not against anything Colin Kaepernick says. Him kneeling is not anti-troops. It's not against, you know, uh, all Thank the you. things that his critics say that it is. It's so ridiculous that people are all triggered by it. I don't care about it. But am I going to go buy his T-shirt from Nike? No. And more to the point... Do I think Nike is doing that because they really believe in the ethics of it? No. They're doing it to make a buck. Their business went up when they did it. So Nike, Gillette, whoever, these are not my moral barometers. I never will rely on them. I respect that take out of you, and I didn't think you would give that as it pertains to the UFC. What you're basically saying, Luke, is you almost respect Dana and company more for not bullshitting. For saying, you know, yes. we don't care what you think we believe. You can guess what we believe, but we're not going to make it about this. And and I mean, look, there are I don't, levels listen, to it. Like I don't, I, I don't, I'm not, Jose, I'm not mad at the NBA for doing it, PC, to be clear. Like, if that's what they want to spend their time doing, do it. And I'm not saying that no good will even come of it. That's also not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when I when I think about whether or not I agree or don't agree with Black Lives Matter, the NBA pushing it on me has zero effect one way or the other. Yeah, I think overall I do agree with that. I, I know it's different for the NBA because the percentage of, of black players in it is huge. So if if this wants to be a little bit more of a billboard for, for that movement, go for it. I have no problem with that. Do I think the back of the uniform is a little extreme? Maybe to my personal taste as opposed to on the court or a flashing screen, whatever. I don't care what you do during the National Anthem. Like I'm all for express yourself. But I, I may agree with you on that part. I think that's the the the, the full agreeance. I, I am happy that the, that this isn't an empty gesture from Dana and company. And I do think you should be able to close the walls down and say that once you turn this channel and this show on, we're not touching any of that stuff. If that's the way you want to present yeah. it and just this is the escape, then it is what it is. Also, you know, Dana, they never say anything about Black Lives Matter, and then he goes and speaks at the RNC. Is it a mystery which way that they stand on this? Make your and, and, and either way, you want to support that or not, I'm not going to judge you for it. Like, and this is why I'll, I, this is the other side of the equation, too. It's like, why are NBA ratings down? Well, partly they're having afternoon games. That's just like a death zone for ratings. Okay, fine. But I've seen people be like, oh, it's because of their advocacy. Yo, <laughs> Dana White and I probably agree on nothing absolutely nothing and that's not going to stop me from watching his product his product is good in general i'm going to keep watching these people who are like i can't stand (laughs) i can't stand black players being concerned about black issues like really like this is so awful for you that you can't even watch the basketball like just put it on mute if you don't want to see oh we'll do whatever you got to do but like if you really love basketball that's going to stop you i don't i don't believe that the one thing i'll say this to i'm not down for that I'm just pumped up. You and Dana are finally Eskimo brothers on something, Luke. This is good. Well, here's what I'll say, BC. The one thing I do think with the UFC airs is if you don't want to wade into the controversies, that's fine. And to the UFC's credit, 
when Aljamain Sterling wanted to say something about it, they didn't, you know, they're not telling you not to say, they say whatever you want to say when it's your turn to have the microphone. Fair enough. That, that, that's the way it should be. If the, play, if the athletes want to get out there on their own time, either on the broadcast or afterwards to say stuff, I'm fine. The part that I disagree with the UFC on is like, we don't want to mention anything about COVID or anything about quarantine. It's like, dude, we know this is at the apex. There's no fans here. Everyone's wearing a mask. A modest accommodation of that reality on the broadcast, I don't think would hurt anybody. This idea like we're going to totally block off the world, you can't. The world has bared down upon you. You cannot separate the two. Fair. All right. That's fair to a degree. Uh, to all a right, degree. BC at at JG Rivera twelve. Do you believe this pandemic has expedited the changing of the guard between old vets and upcoming fighters, since there are a limited number of fighters available and fights to create? You there? What do you think? You there, Luke? Yes. Can you hear I, me? I didn't hear BC. Yeah, I didn't hear the end of your question, but that's fine. We'll roll on. Um. Uh, expedited the changing of the guard. Um, I mean, we're seeing some of the same fighters fight again and again and again. I think Hannah Seifers fights every three hours in, uh, in 2020. <laughs> Maybe that's availability. I don't know where the, where the fighters live. I don't know. I haven't really thought too deep about this. I, I don't know, even yeah. know if it's time to really start thinking too deep about this. But thank you for yeah, your question. I would, I would need a better explanation of the mechanisms in play here. It's, it's an interesting theory, but I don't, I don't exactly know. Uh, so we'll move on to the next one. At Billy Big Wheels, BC, the MMA Bring Genie in. grants you your one wish to change the outcome of any fight. Let's say MMA fight, obviously. Which fight do you choose and why? Uh, Weidman Silva won. And I'm not... Oh! Again, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not necessarily, you know, anti-Chris Weidman or fanboy Anderson Silva. I just, again, I don't think either of those fights answered the proper question of, of who was the best middleweight in the world at that moment. And, uh, you know, that was that was Andy playing with the house money a little bit too much and just gambling with the chin and doing all the mechanisms. And, and he became more about the mechanisms in that fight, unfortunately. And he got served. He paid the ultimate price for it. But I'm sorry. I have went back and watched both fights. And, I, and I'm not convinced that Chris Weidman was better than him then and should have been the champion at that point. What is a mechanism? Um, it's it's an alternate pronunciation of of uh, machinism. I've, I've, I possibly made it you up. Mean, too. You mean machination? Ma- uh, Macadamian. I'll have to look it up afterwards. I I use a different d- dictionary than most people. I see. Uh, I would go. Well, the biggest upset in MMA. Sorry, the biggest um, the biggest robbery in MMA history is Mike Easton Chase BB. I guess on like, you know, who got done wrong. I'd probably go to that one. But honestly, I'm going to play the recency bias game, BC, and I'm going to go uh, John Jones, um, Dominic Reyes. I thought Reyes I wanted machinations. One. I did want machinations. You're right. Yeah. You went, you went John Jones, Dom Reyes. Yeah. That's a little bit of recency bias, obviously. But Now, you, you're uh, saying I, if, if, if Dom had won that by split decision, you, you think that's better for the sport that John has to go back there and get a rematch to win his belt back? He can become his I just, Matt I just, To me, it's a much more interesting world than the one that we got in certain ways. I mean, if he goes up to heavyweight, which I think he would have done anyway, it, it, you know, I guess you get that part of it. But here's the thing to me. It's like when people said Gustafson beat him the first time, I'm like, I don't see it. When they said Tiago Santos beat him, I didn't see it. I saw Reyes beating him. Like, Reyes won that one to me. And, you know, that's the only time I've ever seen John where I scored a fight against him. 
And to me, it was pretty clear. Uh, I just feel like I wonder what would happen if you un- if you let that bomb go off and how it changes things. I'd be curious. Or, you know, Cormier wins the rematch between them or, you know, something like that where you get a, more of a rivalry. I don't know. It'd be kind of interesting. All right, last Imagine, but not least. I think the one the one fight is not an MMA fight, and it's a little bizarre, but if uh, if good old Maymac had ended uh, yeah. the other way on, on some kind of, like, lucky punch from hell. I mean, Conor McGregor yeah. could be Muhammad Ali at this point, right? Can you imagine if, like, if, if Floyd was doing to Conor what he was doing up until the 10th round, right, just marching him down, blah, 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 and then Conor hits Floyd with a punch, like Marquez hit Pacquiao in their last fight, flatlining him like that? Can you? And he goes face yeah. first. Could you imagine? Well, it doesn't have to be out cold. Imagine if he just wobbled him and he jumped in with punches. Ref gives a stoppage that might be a little bit too quick. We get a big money rematch. Oh, I'm yeah. just saying, if there was ever yeah. a time for one athlete to, like, not triple, quadruple, but, like, make their all-time footprint in the in the pop culture and sports landscape, like, Connor, that would have been the moment where Connor would have went from, like, uber superstar to, like, immortal in that one second. For sure. Um all right, from MT Booble, what celebrity death hit you the hardest, both the people you've met and those you didn't? Now, we'll get, for me, to Chadwick Boseman a little bit later. I'm going to cover that in odds and ends. BC, is there a celebrity death where you really kind of felt it in ways that maybe you hadn't before? I'll be quick on this part. Uh, you know, I don't want to be that guy who's like, don't tweet about David Bowie. I bet you own none of his albums. How does he inspire you? And like, you know, I do hate the the social media era. Let's like overly mourn somebody. And I will say there's some truth off of that in how I look at it. I, I don't know these people. Like whether they're alive at 55 or dead, like unless they're on my TV still producing art, like I never knew them. It's sad, but I, I've rarely, Luke, had that deep emotional connection. Like, look, Kobe died. It's a big, it was a shocker because of the age. And I get that, you know, people could have lived with the Mamba mentality or been a, just a huge fan of him. I've just never felt like that with celebrities where it's like, that's somebody I know. I mean, look, if Larry Bird has a heart attack tomorrow, yeah, yeah, that'll probably hurt more than others. But is, that, is there anything wrong with me, Luke, that I can respect the distance? I haven't even met these people. Like, yeah, I listen to their art and I respect it. But whether they're alive or dead in this moment, I'm not seeing them. Is that, is that harsh, Luke? No, that's okay. I, I think that's okay. Um, I actually, um, I have a bit of a different perspective, which is that there have been people whose works have really affected me or had an impact on me at a very impressionable time in my life that p- passed away. I have three of them very quickly. One would be when Carl Sagan died. It caught me out of nowhere. I was still in high school, I think, at the time. And I had read, I've read every Carl Sagan book that there is. Um, I mean, Pale Blue Dot is a little bit harder to read, but I've read, you know, all of them, all of them. And all of his essays, and I know his biography backwards and forwards. I've seen the original Cosmos, what's available out there anyway. So that one kind of hurt. Robert Nozick has one of the most formative works ever on libertarian philosophy, Anarchy, State, and Utopia, and he was a Harvard professor when he died, I think my senior year in college. That one kind of affected me. And then more recently, on a sort of a more frivolous end of things, but uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like my all-time idol. And his number one right-hand man for most of his life was this Italian bodybuilder named Franco Colombo. He died, I think, last year, and he died by drowning. Um, that one kind of hurt a little bit, to be honest with you. When he And Sean Price, like I have his doll right up here, like when he died... 
it kind of affected me too. So yeah, I don't, don't want to um, act like I don't have four. a heart. Like Luke, if you die tomorrow, I'm you know I'm going to be in uh, an absolute mess. But um, I don't know. It's just different. I guess. I mean, it, obviously, it's always harder when somebody's in the young and in the prime of what they're doing. And obviously, you add some tragic elements: murder, suicide. It could, you know, the Robin Williams one. That was probably the one. I okay. If you want a true answer to this question, Robin Williams. Even though I wasn't a specifically a massive fan, the connection with with through suicide that seemed to really uh, hit hard and touch. And you realize that. You know, some of these illnesses are, are, you know, all these illnesses, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, no one's immune to it. So I guess that part hurt. I guess I just can't see, like, am I really that emotionally bruised if somebody who's already old that I haven't seen their art in 30 years? Am I that? I don't know. Kurt Cobain? Kurt Cobain didn't get you? Yeah, I mean, look, B.I.G., Cobain, they're, like, in the midst of their prime. I'm sure that one could have hurt worse. Uh, The the Bourdain, the Anthony Bourdain one hurt. You know, because he died so tragically, obviously, uh, and such. You know, someone so well liked, so famous, so rich, so lucky in many ways, was so miserable that he ended his own life in a Paris hotel or whatever it was. Um, that one kind of hurt, obviously. And I wasn't even the biggest fan of like his shows per se, but just what it said about him. Yeah, you know, for sure. That was uh, that sure. was a tough one. Uh, all right. Well, I don't, well, mean, that I don't mean to tragic. sound like I have no heart. I mean, look, the you know lead singer, your favorite band goes down. It sucks. I get it, but whatever. Uh, all right. Well, with that in mind, BC, on that tragic note, why don't you why don't you raise our spirits with Thanks. some comedy fails? All right. Ooh, that's what we do. Uh, here's what we do, Luke. We scour the glove, the the good and bad, the ugly, the highs and lows in combat sports and beyond. It is. Have you seen this shit? Another shout out as well to the many, the many, the dirty swans, all these people in my DMs every week. Same guys every time filling me up with these. Thank you. We start in top rank boxing over the weekend, Luke. Have you heard of junior welterweight prospect Elvis Rodriguez? Check him out there yes. in the green. He's going up there against Corey Wilson. Beautiful Southpaw. finish, but... But rate me this celebration dance here, Luke. A little Pete Townsend right, action see. going on here. Need a, need a windmill. <laughs> yeah, not the best air guitar, but he is wearing gloves. Although he is super talented, this kid. He's a southpaw. He improved to 9-0-1 with nine knockouts. Uh, trained by Freddie Roach. So be on the lookout for this fella, Elvis. Uh, Elvis is still with us. By the way, people mourn the crap out of Elvis when he died. Like, look, JFK, a, a president who stood for something that people had an emotional connection with. Go ahead, Luke. Mourn him on the streets, all right? Is Elvis Panamanian or Dominican? What, what is he? He's, I believe he's Dominican. Yeah. All right. Am I a bad person because I didn't light a candle when Lane Staley went? I don't know, Luke. Okay? That's it. Right, that's it. I'm done with this conversation. Hey, All let's right, go to... Go. Uh, yeah, thank. Wow, that's dark of you. PBC on Fox undercard. Here we go. Um, Check out junior welterweight Abram Martinez with the tongue out here against Louis Arcone. Pretty brutal knockdown coming here in round two with the hook. Oh, did you see that, Luke? Did oh, you see some of oh, that shit? Oh, oh, oh. Only Just stands in front deal. of him. Oh, yeah. This fight was wild. It was dirty. There was trash talk. Only Luis Arcone did not stay down, Luke. Let's fast forward to the final round here. This fight's up for grabs. Check out Arcone on the left rallying if we can. Uh, if, oh, Ooh. wow. Three seconds to go. He scores a knockdown of his own. Fight ends in a split draw. Good little piece of bingo right there from these guys. Yeah, look at that. Bah. Bah. Hold that, son. 
Uh, main event, not my favorite with our Slendy Lara, but he rolled on there, Luke. Okay, here we go. Why? Uh, because German... he just stands in the phone booth and just fights? Is that because of, of his amazing, gritty style? Uh, no, his opponent, yeah. Uh, German MMA championship over the weekend, Luke. They call this GMC Fight Night. Shout out to Kaposa for hooking us up. Luke, this is the real fight island right here. Lakeside, what do you think? That's a sad fight island. I think that looks pretty badass, no? No. I mean, what, what is the difference here? They're fighting near water? Uh, yeah, if the winner right gets thrown, the if, if, the, if, listen, if they're fighting on a boat, and then the winner gets thrown overboard like Captain Stabbing, I'm all in. But just fighting next to water, like who gives a shit? I do, Luke. Okay, if you can't have fans, like, wouldn't it be great to be there? Pull up a, a cooler and a, and a beach chair and a koozie? Where's my Thomas you know, you really, yeah. You really undersold my Captain Stabbing Zing, and I'm very upset about that. I'm sorry. I didn't get it. You'll have to explain it to me afterwards, Luke. We didn't you don't know Captain Stabbing? I don't. Should I? Should I? <laughs> And you have the audacity to talk about your bag of porn at the stag parties? You lame ass. Yeah. I know Jerry J. Dude, Captain Hunter, let me just say this. I'll I'll say this as delicately as I can. Captain Stabbin's whole bit was he would take girls on a boat and he would have, um, he wouldn't enter the front door, BC. He would enter the back door when he went to his boat, if that makes sense. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Shake, shake for me, girl. Yeah, I want to be your back yes. door man. And then, yeah. and then when it was all done, he would throw them overboard and then drive away. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, that's great. Hey, let's get even more ridiculous. Luke, you want to play a game? Let's play COVID conscious or COVID reckless. Luke, thou shall not judge from where I stand, but you got no problem judging people. Luke Fauci stepping into the doctor chair. Let's check out UFC welterweight Mike Perry with Coach Latori, his pregnant girlfriend. Um, Luke, they're at a pool party. Mike's got the mask on, but pregnant Latori doesn't. Your thoughts? What does the what does his mask say? Something about boobs and eyes? Yeah, don't don't look at my boobs, look at my eyes, something like it's like a like a joke of some kind. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I mean they seem to be socially distancing. It's outside. What are you gonna do? You're gonna call the police? You just gotta let it rock. I'd put I'd put the mask on the pregnant lady, Luke, no? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Sorry, but I'm again, not the judge. mask is mostly designed for you to not spread it, not for you to not get it. Okay, sure. Hey, let's roll on to this, Luke. Uh, COVID conscious or COVID reckless? Check out uh, Uncle Joe and Produce right here. This is like an early Bane prototype. What is on his head? That looks like a muffler to me, Luke. Or, or, uh, or I'm not. I'm not a gearhead. Uh, I think it, it's is that a '68 Chevelle right there? When did, when did they open up a butcher shop at the Moss Eisley Cantina? <laughs> that den of sin. Yes, yes, thank you. All right. Uh, let's go to the next one. Check out this lady on the subway just calmly wearing her mask, but we zoom in, Luke. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that is the... You know, people are getting creative with their masks. Mine are just like basic colors, you know, but yeah, this lady yeah. was like, we got to put some dicks on this one. Yeah, well, it does prevent uh, fellatio, though, I hear. So, uh, the, you know, the mask does block you from a few different things, all right? You know Tyrone style? You know that guy? That is oh, awesome. Okay. Wow. All right. Hey, let's head over to the MLB. Look who's showing up in the crowd these days at virtual uh, baseball games, Luke. There, the Kansas City Royals play. 
Wait, wait, wait. Is that is that uh, Weekend at Bernie's Bernie? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Just you deader than great shit movie. sitting up there. Great. I mean, think of the premise of that movie. It's like two guys stumble across a rich dead guy and decide to use his house and money and party with him for a while. I mean, Dude, I, can I tell you a true story? Like, first of all, that's the most yes. creepy-ass movie ever because they just got a dead guy that they're hauling around as he's decaying. Uh, I one time saw this, like, Colombian soap opera with my wife. It's a true story. And it was loosely based on a true story itself. And in it, one of the mafiosos dies. And when he dies, they put him on a motorcycle, not driving it, but like, you know, riding bitch or whatever. And the other mafiosos drive him slowly through the town and everyone's like taking shots and celebrating. And I go, what are they doing? And she goes, she goes, this is actually not unheard of in like certain parts, you know, very, very poor areas of South America especially like, you know, in, the, in like the favelas or the ghettos, they'll take somebody who dies and they'll ride them around or, you know, ha- have them out in front of everyone partying and celebrating for one last ride. I, I don't know what that's called or how pervasive it is, but it was certainly, I was like, they all do the actual Weekend at Bernie's bit? Yes, they do. You, you know the Katie Vick story in WWE in like 2001? Vince McMahon approved a storyline in which they would sleep with a dead body? This girl, Katie Vick, it was they would like have no. sex with her in coffins on the camera. Yeah, really, really bad stuff there, Luke. Um, okay, great. Hey, did you ever see Weekend at Bernie's too? I saw it in the theater. The worst movie of all time. Did you see it? No. Oh, uh, so they go to Jamaica, and every time Bernie hears uh, reggae music, he stands up and walks. It's great. It's great stuff. All right. Well, that brought the show down. Speaking of WWE, Luke, we had virtual fans there in their new Thunderdome. Only these fans are on screens at their house, and somebody put up a picture of uh, murderer Chris Benoit. Yikes. (laughs) That is cold, man. That is really cold. Only that wasn't the worst of it. Somebody wore a KKK robe during it. They also put a um, ISIS execution video on one of the screens. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some uh, gross people out there in the world. Dude. Yeah, All maybe right. a hey. little bit more uh, a little bit more screening of some of these folks. Yeah, that'd be nice. Please, please. All right, hey, let's go back to some fighting. All right, this is man versus machine. Public works public works guy versus a lawnmower, Luke. I got this 10-8 lawnmower. Check this crap out, Look, <laughs> You know what? I've always wanted to drive those things. The best part about this video, if you can track it down, is that there's a couple in the car just laughing at him for five straight minutes. I would totally sit there and film this. This is great. That's great theater. All right. Thank Dude, you that's going to be much. some mode-ass grass, boy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, let's move on here. Um, Luke, remember that stupid-ass scene from a great movie, Above the Rim, from the 90s, when uh, Nutso was playing hoops on the roof with Leon, and he goes up to slap the backboard, and he falls off the building and dies? Luke, you remember this crap? Yes. Yes. Great movie, right? Just not realistic, though, Luke. Not realistic. Uh, Shout-out to Leon there, though, dunking on eight-foot hoops and uh, wearing corduroys. Check out this in Europe, though. Very realistic. Nutso would die after the first layup, Luke. What is happening? what what are these overly white gentlemen doing? (laughs) What on earth could be the benefit of this, except for some B-roll? I mean, uh, what happens if you... uh, I mean, you you probably get one shot out of that ball, right? Yeah, and then there's no hustling. I mean, you know, you got to play that one real slow-like. 
Luke, I'd play you on that court. I would take you to the hole, Billy Hole. I would body you in the paint, knock you right off I would, that. I would, I would just let you have it. I would not. Yeah. No. All Thank right. you. I'm good. Okay. All right. And hey, they got Luke, this sort of mini up. Stonehenge to hold the thing in there. <laughs> That's probably Russia. I mean, this is where all this stuff emanates from. There's yeah, a lot of probably. people have time out there. Uh, shout out to our Russian fans, by the way. Hey, speaking of that power couple, I hit you up on early Co- uh, coach Latori and Mike Perry. Did you see the picture of them in matching bathing suits? That's floating around the internet. Luke, your thoughts. Yeah, someone photo, someone photoshopped it, but yes, it's nice. That's a Photoshop. You're saying. Yes. Are you sure? BC. Do you not see that there are? Yes, of course. I'm sure. Kind of a I statement don't think that's is that? Photoshop. I don't think that's photoshopped. I think he's doing it out of solidarity. He loves her, Luke. BC, it's photoshopped. Okay. Well, I thought it was a thing because apparently dudes now are wearing these things called brokinis, Luke. What would it take for you to put your man bag inside one of these, Luke? Can we advance <laughs> the film, Jay, please? This is a thing. People are doing this. Brokinis. No? No? Wow. That is... Uh... It's like a George the Animal Steel thing, huh? Well, yeah, look at the unit on that guy, indeed. I mean, um, it's not too different from, like, toga party type stuff, right? Can we, can we throw to one of the greatest toga parties of all time? Yes. Shout it out. Senior year. Bayside. Uh, I like how there's the woman in the bikini, and the only thing you're focusing on that picture is the dude's package. It's A.C. Slater, nice. bro. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go. Uh, there have been famous brokinis in the past. You said George the Animal Steel, but I think you did mean um, Andre the Giant. But I can't think that this uh, uh, yes. this this idea. Imagine that guy, the craps that guy would take. Could you imagine? Oh, I mean, he's got toddlers that are coming out of his rear end. <laughs> Look, they said he would have to use the tub in most hotels and that on a plane he would stay in his seat and they would just put a curtain over him and they'd give him like a pot. Could you imagine sitting in the row behind that? Uh, yeah, I have flown Southwest. Yes. <laughs> First bag is free, Luke. Okay, hey, let's go on. Uh, what is Luke Thomas yeah, like the best every, on this every show? Row, every, every, Southwest, every aisle comes with a free chamber pot. <laughs> Great. Well, the first thing that I do is make them toss my salad. All right. Uh, Luke loves animal on, animal on human violence coming your way here, Luke. Uh, this clip nearly set a record for most donks sending it to me, but this horse, wow. <laughs> that horse is like, not today, buddy. Damn. Is that Dennis Seaver with the spinning back kick? That is some stiff strikes right there. Wow. I wonder if that is uh, Aaron Pico's horse with the hose-sized dong. Which I have asked him about. It's 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 real. That is not a prosthetic, Luke. That is insane. All right. Hey, uh, Luke, I need you to tell me what's going on here. I think it's Russia. It's from over the weekend. Is there a senior MMA division? Look at this guy in the blue with a fantastic knockout. And then watch the celebration. What does he think? He's Elvis Rodriguez? What's going on here? Oh, snap. Look at Who that old that? bastard. Is that Oleg Tatarov? Who the hell is this guy? Oh, it's like two contestants from The Biggest Loser at like week 16. That split was surprising, Luke. I, I got a... What, seriously, what type of legit injuries would you... If you right now went for a split, Luke, what, what would be the outcome? Oh, I'd tear my crotch. I'm not limber at all. 
All right. All right. Uh, it's stupid human tricks time, Luke. Uh, do you rate this as impressive or ridiculous? This lady on the exercise bike in the gym. Um, wow. No why fails on this all, one. Why are they always white? Always, bro. <laughs> I don't know. If Karen can pull off moves like that, Luke, you, you should, you should uh, think about uh, swiping to the right, you know? You know, Karen, it was in between waiting for uh, to speak to the manager, had quite a few tricks. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, Web Scream is the biggest supporter of this show. He's got quite a few tricks. Here's his creation of the week. Check out this MK oh, Beard Switch. Oh, no. Luke, what do you Beardless think? I think? I mean, I think you oh. became infinitely more handsome with that switch. What do you think? I look like a woman who's trying to be. I look. I look. I honestly look like somebody who is transitioning. Honestly, and I don't even mean that as like a joke. I mean it like sincerely. I don't. No, you do. Yeah, that that was that was very apt. I didn't know if we we're allowed to laugh at that legally, but uh, yeah, um, Luke, that does make um, the ridiculousness of your beard front and center when you put it on my mug, right? Yeah, but you look great. <laughs> you don't think you do? You got, got no, you, look, dude, like, you look like this is the first time I've ever looked at you and been like, wow, he probably does read books. Uh, uh, you, I look distant, uh, difficult, uh, militant, you know, you look you approachable look awesome. right there. All right. Hey, that got weird. Yeah, okay. approachable. That's true. Hey, it's MK Merch Update time. We love our people who are out there on show.store.com checking out our stuff, sampling it for them. Hey, take the Pepsi challenge, as Luke would say. Uh, let's start off with here, Brent at the Brent Car on Twitter. Uh, cup of Joe in the morning. Top of the morning to you, Brent. Uh, shout out to that as well. Yeah, badass. All right. Hey, let's go over to Colorado. My sister Jen putting on the, uh, the green MK t-shirt there. All right. That's a cute Check dog out. too, man. Very cute dog. Yes, yes. I believe that's my nephew. Is that? Do you, I don't know. All right. Hey, let's keep rolling on here. Uh, Tom Kinsley at Kinsley92 on IG. Luke, you're going to love this. He put his lady in the MK sweatshirt, but look at what this guy's wearing on vacation. He's got the old live chat t-shirt. It's amazing. The promotional malpractice. Are those things still in print? Can we still order that? I think I think they might be, actually. Yeah. I don't think I sell very many of them anymore, but yeah. All right. Well, these clothes not only look good on humans, Luke, they look even better on animals. Can we go to the uh, the, the dog here, Willie Randolph? You know whose dog that is? That is, you, you know, Manich on our team? You know Manich? Yeah. That is Manich's dog, Willie Randolph. Look at this guy, a stud, right? That is a, I mean, that pooch has some crooked ass teeth, but he is adorable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Manich, by the way. That's a soulful white man. Have you heard his uh, his music? No. All right. Well, hey, it's a good, nice endorsement just the same. Uh, Luke, let's close on this. I don't really understand what's happening here, but you like the football. So tell me, um, this guy shit his pants or what? What is the doctor <laughs> doing, Luke? <laughs> this is me before Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> this is step one. Is that, I could see you and Abuelo doing this before you start the show. Like all day sitting in the chair. You don't want the swap ass. You get out that. What is that? What are they shooting? Uh, chalk? I was going to say, did he cramp or something? And they're trying. I don't know. I don't know exactly what they're doing. Or did he get stung by an insect? That sometimes happens. I'm not. I, 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 BC, will you do this for me later in life? If this marriage between us ends up working well, will you 
you know, I don't know, dry ice my rear end? No, 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 no. What player is that? Is that Kaka? Uh, Kaka. You mean Kaka? It's hilarious. And he's Brazilian, although I think this is a Brazilian team. All right. Hey, that's all the issue I got for this week. I hope you've seen it, Luke. We We don't score big every week. We try, though, okay? Thank you. Thank you. You had some good ones in there. BC, it is time for odds and ends. What do you got for us on your odds and ends? Uh, RIP to, um, we've seen a bunch of deaths. John Thompson, just as we were getting ready for this show, the great Georgetown coach. Yes. But um, I did want to, and I, I was a big Georgetown fan in the 90s, so that, well, yeah, that one hit who me wasn't? particularly hard, Luke. I didn't know him, though, just so you know. Um, you know who I didn't know well was Cliff Robinson. Shout out to the NBA great, Luke, who uh, oh, 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 wait, look at Jay. Look at Jay getting his yeah, black Jay, people confused. can you confused. follow the script here? Uh, Cliff Robinson was a UConn star. I, I obviously grew up and live in Connecticut. He was a solid NBA veteran. He played for 18 years. Look, he was on Survivor, one of my favorite shows, a CBS vehicle. But, Luke, I have to shout this man out for one other reason. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but take me back to, I think I did once, 2005-ish, 6. I'm in the New Jersey Nets locker room for ESPN. It's early in the day. It's just Cliff Robinson and two ladies from the from Europe who are reporters ish, right? And um Uncle Cliff walks in and went from zero to ball bag in like two and a half seconds. And I mean, if you gotta let me search it and proceed to just I was like, were you confused whether or not it was Cliff Robinson or Aaron Pico's horse? Yes. I mean, I was aghast. And um, I mean, it was only, I mean, to be honest, it was only two inches, Luke, from the floor. And uh, he kept a conversation going with uh, with those women the entire time. It was uh, it was an old school uh, dirty move. Shout out to the great Cliff Robinson. Played for many a teams. Uh, loved him in the early days in the finals with the Blazers. Uh, athletic, can shoot, could do some things. So uh, RIP quickly as well. I had teased up that Australian Super Bowl of boxing last week. Tim Zhu against Jeff Horn. And yes, I was wrong. The Australian legends who also picked Horn by stoppage was wrong. Luke, an absolutely fantastic performance from young Tim Zhu, son of the Hall of Famer, Costa Zhu, who looked so much like his daddy in there, was poised, was countering perfectly. To be honest, Jeff Horn's a good fighter. You know, whatever you want to say about him. He made Jeff Horn look like a raw amateur. Uh, Zhu dominated. Eventually, Horn quit on his stool. And this was the type of victory where... It's not like, you know, what other domestic names down under can we get him in there against? It's, I think, Tim Zhu's of the world level. It will be fun to see where he will fit in in that larger 154-pound picture. He's, you know, he's still climbing, still has less than 20 fights under his pro belt. But that was a manly win. That was a statement win. And, uh, I, you know, I ate some crow there, and I enjoyed watching that. So, shout out. Fair enough. Uh, all right. And then for my odds and ends, I will say over the weekend, not really combat sports related, Chadwick Boseman, the actor, died of cancer at age 43. This is the guy that played, among many other roles, Black Panther. Interestingly enough, he made something like eight movies or more between 2016 and his untimely death. And that was when he was diagnosed with cancer, which was, I guess he was about 39 years of age in 2016. He still made the Black Panther movies. Uh, Infinity War, Endgame, and I think either five or six other ones, which would be, as I wrote on Twitter, prolific by any standard, shocking given his illness, and then more to the point, uh, just an absolute fighter, this guy. I mean, he wasn't just merely in shape for the movies. He was in, like, superhero shape at times 
all while battling colon cancer. It's incredible. And the other point about Chadwick Boseman, first of all, Howard DC alumnus, so you know, down the street from me, which was kind of a cool little connection. But the real big story here is this is a guy who at age 43, he is untimely death. Number one, he played Jackie Robinson. He played James Brown. He played Thurgood Marshall. And certainly T'Challa, the king of Wakanda, is not a real character. But in terms of uh, playing iconic black characters, let's say, whether fictional or real, this guy had more than the Holy Trinity he had four of them, three real ones, and then maybe the most important one as far as fictional characters go, at least for the modern age and superhero movies. An incredible run, an incredible legacy. And this is what I always tell folks about Black Panther. It's like, oh, I don't want messaging in my movies. Got great news for you. Black Panther's a great movie no matter what your angle. You don't have to worry about any kind of messaging or whether or not it could have been told with a different kind of character. It's just so good, you have to like it. The fact that it told the story that's frankly an undertold kind of story about an Africa unaffected by colonization and slavery, about one that's technologically ahead of its peers, about one that could lead the, na- the world, frankly, in the universe in innovation and, and technology and in, frankly, self-love and be proud and everything. It was an incredible, incredible run that this guy had. Quite a shame that it came to a close at age 43 BC, but... Man, if you're going to do it, you do it like Chadwick Boseman. I say that. Look, I mean, our discussion about how much you should mourn celebrity deaths, notwithstanding, this was obviously a shocker because he hadn't made it public. But you just nailed that one thing. To be able to be this prolific in important roles that mattered artistically, culturally, and beyond, and know of his you know, I- impending demise, um, that's like humbling, I- inspirational, sad, all at the same time. Um Wow. To be able to, I mean, this is, you know, to, this is like, like walking away at the very peak of, of, of what you put out there and the imprint you were starting to make as a, uh, as an important actor that this is certainly, uh, one that hits hard and you challenge me to, uh, I, I, to be honest, hadn't seen a lot of these films and, uh, you challenged me to go back there and I watched, uh, I watched Black Panther and I was, I was thoroughly impressed this morning. I've actually not seen the Jackie Robinson movie, but I saw, I've seen Get On Up. And I saw the Thurgood Marshall movie uh, during the quarantine, which was surprisingly good. And then obviously I'd seen Black Panther and Infinity War and Endgame. I mean, it it was, you know, I'll I'll say this. Um, Part of the thing that made his death so shocking was that nobody, when we say nobody, I mean us jabronis, we didn't know. We had no clue that he was suffering from this. And it just goes to show, man, you just don't really know what people are going through. I thought this guy was on top of the world. And in many ways he was. In many ways he was absolutely not. Um, I'm, I'm in awe of his grace under the challenges. And, you know, I have a completely different life than this guy. But I just mean if I can have that kind of poise and bearing under those kinds of constraints, I'll be doing half as good as he did. I'll be doing something pretty right. So, yeah, um, it's going to make know, rest in power to in- Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, it's going to make going back and uh, rewatching those performances, you know, a lot heavier knowing, uh, you know, how much he put into it, you know, whether he knew uh, this was his window to make this impact and uh, the clock was ticking. And obviously, you know, if you can take anything positive from this, it's that the clock is ticking for all of us. So uh, go do that. Go thing, do it. You know, yeah, go, go get do out it. there and do, do that it. thing. All right. You want to make a combat sports show with really gross jokes in it? Go out and do that thing. All right. 
Uh, all right, BC. Well, I have to go to an HR meeting here. We ran a little long. Good time. So, good timing after this show, Luke. That's probably the perfect. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Time, uh, I'll say this. Please give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. If you want to try Showtime for all kinds of reasons, you certainly can. Showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, you can go and do your thing in another part of the world. Uh, we have our merch up on the show store. I think it's, was it? Let me see if I get the website right. It is store.show.com, S-H-O. Got our own dedicated page now, thanks to you folks out there. We really appreciate it. And as I told folks at the beginning of the show, BC, we are full-time now. We're going to slowly move into that. It's gonna, we're going to take our time. We're not going to rush it. But believe me, we're going to have plenty of content coming for you at my Instagram, at your Instagram, at my Twitter, at your Twitter, and then you can see the show there. Anything hey, else? True or false? Is, are the rumors true that you reached out to uh, WebScream and said, uh, paint me like your French girls? Yeah, I actually did reach out to him for some help on a project, and shocker, he was superb at it. So That's I really appreciate that oh, from him quick, as well. Oh, quick roll call on shout-outs. Shout-out to our guy, uh, L.A. Chargers wide receivers coach, Phil McGagan, who got uh, some much-needed uh, press for the... Did you see him tear some a-holes on Hard Knocks there on episode Bro, three? that was amazing. Uh, Shout-out to Phil, a uh, future head coach in the making right there. Big fan of that guy. He loves us. Shout-out to the... the People, the great people from Tula Trees. Luke, you down with this company out of Australia? They're big MK fans. They make um, man shower and bathroom life so much cooler and organized. Uh, they have turned around my shower life, if you know what I mean. Well, so they actually sent us both products, and mine truly, and this is not, not a joke, mine never made it. Mine got lost. So they sent me another one, which arrives on Wednesday. So I'm looking forward to seeing that um, when it gets here. All, all right. right. Very Shout good. Shout out to all the good well, people out there. Thank you. Thank well, you. thank you to everyone. Shows. Yes, thank you to everyone who made this possible. The new era has begun. We're going to ease our way into it, but once we hit the gas, there will be no break. Thank you to Malka. Thank you to Showtime. Thanks to everyone who watched. For Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.